In this episode, I have Brian Ellis, the founder of the Adventure Challenge. If you haven't heard of the Adventure Challenge, then I don't know where you've been. This is one of the, the fastest growing uh, activity books. I don't even know what to call it, but you got to check it out. My family and I love them. And he created a company from a simple idea in a town like Redding, California, that's now all over the country. I think he was just on Ellen. He's going to share his journey, his struggles, and where he's at today. We're going to talk about his new book. So this is an action-packed episode with tons of tactics for people that want to start a business and are afraid to do it from a guy who has done it at a big level. So please make sure to like, subscribe, comment, because it helps this podcast grow and it helps me get great guests like Bryant. Thank you so much. You're going to love this episode. Thanks for coming, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bryant, mm -hmm. we haven't had a lot of time to get to know each other, so this is as raw and real as it gets, and Love that's it. how I like it. When I, I, I know you have a podcast, too, but when I wanted to do this, I, I really wanted to make sure that it was as free form as possible because I, I just don't like – I like authenticity. I know you do, too, obviously. Mm -hmm. So so thanks for coming. So for people that don't know you um, – and, I, and I'm still, forgive me for not knowing all this, but you're the founder and you're the guy that started Adventure Challenge. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that story because I've always wanted to hear it. Yeah, I, I'll give you the short version because the full version takes about four hours, but you could find it on YouTube, actually. I had to, me and Ben, sit down and break it down. But essentially, yeah, I I literally, I got the I, this idea for a scratch-off adventure book. So it's this book filled with all these adventurous ideas, but you can't see what they are until you pick a box, scratch it off. It tells you what to do for the adventure. And so I kind of came up with the idea because I have ADHD. I hate game nights when you go to people's house and play mm -hmm. Settlers of Catan, do the same thing over and over again. And I was yep. like, man, if you could play a game that every time you played it, you did something different. And you didn't know what you were going to do until you committed to playing it. Kind of like Jumanji, you yeah. know, the movie. Yeah. I was like, that would be a killer game. And uh, I was actually I was spending time with the Lord. And I just saw a picture of a book with scratcher material on it with hidden that was hiding the adventure. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dang, that's a good idea. Yeah. And so um, I was a student at the time and I told the idea to... Uh, her name's Ella Hooper. I told it to Ella and I was like, I have this idea for a scratch off book. And she was like, that's a brilliant idea. You should do it. And I was like, yeah, maybe. And then uh, fast forward, I started making prototypes and designing it. And um, I found a business partner, Ben Day, and he invested into the the idea. We turned it into a company and we scaled it and blew it up. <laughs> so. And now you guys are in Walmart we're in Walmart, we're in Target, Target. Barnes and Noble, uh, Magnolia, not Magnolia, oops, sorry, Magnolia, not Magnolia, uh, a few others that I can't think of the name. I mean, but yeah, so we're, we're a CVS, we just got a CVS. Nice. Um, but most of our sales are direct to consumer. Yep. But yeah, we just this last year, we got into every Target nationwide, which is really cool. Um, but it's weird because like you don't get as much profit, obviously, from retail. Sure. And so we didn't get into retail for years because it's like you're trying to get as much profit yeah. as possible selling direct to consumer. We had a good ad agent. Not, we had really good ads. And and so that has worked for us for a long time. But yeah, now we're we're in all the retail. So stoked about that aspect of business. Yeah, no, it's 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 such a cool book. We have some. And there there was a few year, years there where I was buying it for gifts for a lot of my friends and I've, I've had people send me adventure challenge books from 
like Florida. That's funny. Like, well, thank you. And yeah. Just, the, so many, you know, so many people know about it now. And yeah. It's, it's really, it's all, I mean, we, we have a blast with it. I mean, it, we have the family one and we have every Wednesday night, we have family night from five to whenever. So Love that. I can work late a few nights a week, but like that night a week, nothing gets in the way of that. And so that's our go-to oftentimes if we don't have an, a plan or if mm-hmm. it's raining and I, I'll never forget the night that we did the one with the, the yarn through the house. And dude, that's my favorite one. Actually, my kids are super, burglar or whatever. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. kids are super yeah. young. So, you know, they have a blast and, and then I'll try to run through that thing without touching the yarn and they'll mm-hmm. spray me with the spray mm-hmm. bottle. I mean, it is a ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so much fun. So that's really cool. I, I, the thing that I love about Reading is how, this place used to be called Poverty Flats. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. I've lived here almost my whole life. I'm, I've, I've lived here a long time, and it used to have the nickname Poverty Flats. And 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 nowadays, because I'm in the mortgage industry, I talk to people moving here a lot. There are so many incredible people moving here, and then there are so many people that have lived here that, because of the culture we have here, have just believed that they can do incredible things. Yeah. And now we're starting to see that to happen. And so like when I hear a story like yours now, which I hear often in Reading, it doesn't surprise me anymore. Totally. Yeah. I don't know what it is about this area, but it's, it's a really special thing that people are doing the things they're doing. A lot of startups have happened here. Mm -hmm. Like, are you familiar with like in computing? Yes. That's where like Luke Miner was. I, we were working together when he was making you caring. I was sitting next to him yep. at his desk and was like, I'm making this website, you can donate. And I'm like, boring. You know, I'm like 18 yep. year old kid. I'm not thinking anything of it. It turns into this multi-million dollar thing. And uh, several entrepreneurs that were at InComputing, yep. now like 511 yep. and you know, Rick Sabraka, Tim Marinella, all these cats. It's it's wild because there is like a hub for entrepreneurs, yep. writing, which you wouldn't expect. And creatives. A hundred percent. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what Bethel Music, uh, do you know Caleb Marmaleo? I don't believe so. No. So Caleb is a good friend of mine. And, you know, he, he called me about 10 years ago when he was moving here and I think he was selling cars and he moved up here and he started getting behind the camera. And just two months ago, he like went out on his own and he's filming. He just did a TV show for the outdoor channel called American made. And the outdoor channel told him and his partner that it was the best show they've ever had. Oh, that's so cool. And he he just did a a podcast with Andrew Huberman. Oh, sick. And Cameron Haynes and he's getting invited to go on and film and create these films for Joe Rogan. I mean, Oh, I love that. So, so I'm hearing these things all the time now and it just it's so special, man. I, I love what we're what we're seeing here with people that are really putting the flag into Reading and cuz there's a lot of people leaving California. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame a lot of them. And, but there's so many people here that, that find something special here. And I'll tell you, I think it's the community. I think it's the people. And, you know, there's people that also travel a lot. Like, that's the thing for us. Like, there's a lot of things about California we love. Um, but all we have to do is go for a trip to Florida and we realize, ah, I don't want to live here, but mm-hmm. I like come in here. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the journey for you from going from this concept to like having the business you guys have today, because correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't have a whole lot of operational experience at the time. Oh, not for this type of event. No, absolutely. It grew faster than my education pretty quickly. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur, but like not at this level where it was like, it it took off and turned into something that I wasn't, I wasn't even expecting it to uh, turn into. I actually, I remember um, 
it's funny, having a conversation with uh, Fab, and I was like, I think I'm going to go after this thing for a while and build it because I want to pursue acting, but I kind of need to make some passive income first. Mm -hmm. And so um, Fabian, he was one of my acting coaches at the time. And I was telling him, I'm going to kind of go after this business instead of pursuing acting right now. And and in my head, I was like, man, if I can make two, $3,000 of passive income, I can move to LA and continue pursuing acting and uh, and not have to be like a waiter. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was kind of my heart behind it. And so obviously it turned into something much bigger, mm-hmm. but it was, in my head, it wasn't like this, it's going to sell millions of copies of all over the world. It was a means to an end, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of entrepreneurism is. It's like, right. I don't want to work for somebody. I want to create yeah. sustainable income for myself so I can pursue what I really want to do. Yeah. I'm not like Gary V where I'm just like, I love the game of entrepreneur. I want to start a new company here, a new company. Like everything I start, it needs to have a business plan so it succeeds, but it's it's not just because I love the game, but it, it, it's like a missing, it's a puzzle piece to something else that I want to do. And so- I found a lot of purpose within Adventure Challenge, but you know, it really was when I had this idea, it was this thought of, I just need to make some passive income. And I think people would buy this. Mm-hmm. And so, and, uh, and so when I partnered with, with Ben Day, I didn't really understand Facebook and Instagram ads. I honestly thought most of them were a scam. Mm-hmm. And I think around that time, there were a lot of scams with sure. Facebook and Instagram. And so, you know, I ended up doing a Kickstarter and I, I think I put like 50 bucks behind an ad on Facebook and I was talking to Ben and I was like, hey, yeah, here are the statistics of the ad I did. And he looked at it and he was like, this is a 10X ROAS. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. Had no idea wow. what that meant. And he he then got green eyes and was like, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And he was already curious, but when he saw those numbers, he was like, oh shoot, like this is, and it's funny because those numbers weren't even accurate. I yeah. pulled them wrong. So it was more like a 3X ROAS, but he thought it was 10X. <laughs> um, we ended up getting a 10X ROAS a couple months down the road. On, but On Facebook ads? Facebook and Instagram wow. ads, which you can't do nowadays, which is Yeah, it, as a, there was a sweet spot there for a while where- It was, br- it was like printing money, man. Was. You'd put a thing in there and yep. it had to be a good ad. Like we'd put an ad in, and it would lose money, and we would tweak two words, and it would triple. Isn't that crazy? And we'd tweak it again, and then it would triple again. And it was it was so, and it actually showed me a lot about perfection. Mm-hmm. And because like Ben Day is a perfectionist, I'm more of like, I'm ready, fire, aim. Mm-hmm. He's ready, aim for way too long, and then fire. Mm-hmm. So we kind of complement each other. Yep. And so I'm like, get crap done. He's more like, make sure it's perfect. Have a perfect plan. Exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of times I would make the ad and then he would sit there and scientifically perfect it with little details and then it would be, it'd be a hit. And so it really made me start thinking that way more of, of like, dude, you change one word, it could change the whole mm-hmm. way it performs. And so- Do you think that was because of the algorithm or just because of uh, communication and how people uh, react to like the hook or the first line of- Yeah, well, I mean- it's what's going to grab your attention. Mm-hmm. And you learn a lot about copywriting in, in this industry because you need to write things f- in order for a fourth or fifth grader to be able to read it. Right. You know, and so people try to overcomplicate what they write. And then we have such a short attention span when we're scrolling. If we don't immediately grab what it's saying, we move on. Yep. You know, and so we were writing copy like this book changed the way we viewed our relationship you know, maybe get a one X row ass. Yep. And then all of a sudden, I think actually I came up with this idea. I was just like, best date ever. Try those. We tried that and that made us our first million. Three words, super punchy. Yeah, easy best word. date ever. And, and so many people, in, I've been learning a lot about communication with creating content and 
you know, you would think that taking something that is complicated and making it simple would be easy, mm-hmm. but it's actually not easy to do. No. Yeah. It's like to, for when you watch an Instagram video or any video for that matter, that pulls you in. I think one of the first things that happens is you realize this person is making whatever they're saying so easy to understand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. super practical, and it, it and they tell really good stories. Yeah, you know, so that's really cool. That's a journey that I've been learning uh, with the ad game. So you got so you guys started blowing up as a company. Mm-hmm. What were some of the challenges you guys have encountered over the last couple of years? Because our demographic is middle class to upper middle class. You know, people that are. Mm-hmm. They're either trying to figure out how to create wealth so they can get out of the day to day and find financial freedom, or they're they're trying to figure out how to um, just simply make more money because they're kind of locked into the you go to college, you get a job, and that's yeah. all there is. So, what were some of the challenges you guys have encountered? Because I'm sure there's been plenty. There's a lot. I, I guess I'd be curious what would be more useful to me to talk about because I I can talk about business conflict between a business partner. I can talk about capital talk about um, hiring, firing. I mean, there's so many obstacles coming on. Pick one, you know, pick one, pick any. I think maybe the hardest one was learning to be a leader. Mm, Leadership. Uh, Leadership. Yeah. Cause I think in this environment, because this is a pretty conservative environment, Reading. Yeah. And most leaders are in the religious institution or the church and they're picked because of the qualities or the character that other people see on their lives, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I, I feel like you live a good life and you're a strong leader. I'm going to put you in a position of leadership mm-hmm. business or entrepreneurism doesn't really work that way. Right. It's like you do something right in the market and then boom, you're a leader. And then, but I think because people are used to the, maybe the hierarchy of the church and a lot of our employees are Christian, they're like, well, you should be, a good leader because you are the leader. You yeah. should, you know what I'm saying? You should have the, yeah. this character, this discipline, mm-hmm. this know-how, this knowledge. And I'm just like a 24 year old kid at the time. Just like, ah, okay, I'm managing 40, 50 employees and right. we're making millions of dollars and I'm doing my best and I don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? So there was a yeah. lot of that. And I think I had a lot of expectation on myself to excel, but it gave me a lot of compassion for leaders because I feel like leaders are some of the most misunderstood people. Yes. And they don't, it's a luxury to be able to be understood by everyone, yeah. right? Like you don't have that luxury as a leader. And so it was learning to show up, do my best, be okay with being misunderstood, to own my mistakes, to keep moving, keep making progress. Mm-hmm. But that was probably the hardest thing is yeah. learning that. And obviously I'm, I'm still learning it. I'm so. glad you picked that that word um, because that's it's such an important thing for anyone that's wanting to do anything. I mean, I always say, because we do, we read John Maxwell's, uh, leadership devotion every morning with my team. Oh, cool. And for the first six to eight weeks, I'm reading it. I'm like, they, they're thinking about me as I'm reading this. So I, I was like, hey guys, bare minimum, you're leading yourself. If you have kids, you're a leader because you have kids. And and so like that word, it gets thrown around a lot, but like, what does that word leadership mean to you at this point? Hmm. I'll give you my definition, maybe this, because yeah. th- there's no right answer to it. But for me, what it means today is influence, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, like you have it. And then once you have it, you, you, you got to figure out how to use it. Because mm-hmm. right? I think what I was hearing in your story, and I see in so many other people that have businesses or any organization is how do you develop those skills? Because you're not born with them. Yeah. 
it's interesting because I think my de- my definition of what a leader is has changed over the years, and I feel like it's a kind of an abstract thing. It's hard for me to articulate, but I think it's. I mean, you're put into a position to empower other people, mm-hmm. right? And to help and, and, and pull out the best in other individuals. Or the worst. Or the worst, yeah. I mean, Hitler was a, <laughs> was a leader. Well, but I mean, I think a good leader. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I, I mean, and, and I, it's tricky because as a leader, if you have somebody who's joining your business, your institution, your nonprofit, your company, whatever, th- their job is to serve your vision and your job is to help them achieve theirs as well and, and, and set them up to succeed the best way they can. Yeah. I think a lot of leaders have a very selfish mentality. For sure. Where it's like, you're all here for what I need, cogs, what I want to You're cogs create. in my wheel. Yeah. And it's like, and, and a lot of leaders will be entitled because I want well, paying you. So I'm paying you. Yep. And I'm like, but they're giving you their life. Yeah. Like a, even if it's just a year, they're giving you a, that's the most valuable thing they have. It's the best hours of their day. It is. And I'm like, yeah. and if you're, there's so much loneliness when your view of the world is you're here to serve me. It's yeah. so lonely when that's your perspective. Really and I'm is. saying that from experience because it, I mean, for so many times I've got caught up in that where I'm like, you're here to serve me. I'm paying you. You should be grateful. For, but mm-hmm. and it's like, no, like I have the opportunity for you get to serve this vision that we're going after, but I get to serve you in every way that I can. Yeah. And sometimes serving you looks like kicking you off the team because you're not a good fit. Yeah. Um, sometimes serving you is figuring out a different, a different position. Sometimes serving you is figuring out better ways to communicate and articulate what I'm needing for you, from you. And so, um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have like a good Instagram Instagram quote for this is what I think yeah, the leader I, is, but yeah, I don't know if there is one. I, I mean, I, I but I think it's always something that's a good question to ask, and it's it's one of the reasons why we talk about it with with our team so often because most people don't look at themselves as a leader, mm-hmm. and and they don't really think about that word. Um, but what you're saying is so true, and I know for me, when when I made that transition from they're here to serve me to like I'm here to actually change their lives. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed being an employer so much more. Yeah. Because be- before that, it's not easy. I mean, yeah. especially in, you know, a lot of different states with depending on the employer laws. I mean, it's difficult. Totally. But when you can make that transition to like, my purpose is to make their lives better, mm-hmm. you know, in my world, because we're in finance, get them out of debt, help them buy homes, help them start investing in their 401ks. And, you know, and then getting to the next stage, which is this does not guarantee that they're going to stay with me mm-hmm. or do what I think they would do at all. And so getting to that no strings attached place like that, that's also a hard part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really good. So tell me about your book, man. Thanks for uh, bringing a copy so we could talk about it. But yeah. hello, my name is Failure. I'd love to hear about this. You, uh, you said it's a little bit different than I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be like part of your journey, but it's actually fear or failure talking yeah. to somebody. So it's it's letters written from failure addressing the reader. And so each letter is a letter from failure talking about different subjects on comparison, anxiety, the school system. But failure is reintroducing himself as a coach and mentor in your life. And he's re, he's he's talking about the times where he's played a crucial role in your life and how he wants to lead you towards success. Uh, the key, the one of the lines is failure is not the opposite of success. He's the prerequisite. Mm. And so what, you know, a lot of people, those who are successful and those who are not, I feel like one of the common trends for the successful 
is they have a good relationship with failure. Mm. Um, they almost don't even view it as failure. They view it as education. But a lot That's of unsuccessful good. people view failure as trauma. They view it as something that that it usually scares them away from and deters them from taking risk versus educates them to why the risk didn't work out the way they want. Because anytime we do something and we don't get the result we want, we call it a failure. It's an education gap, mm-hmm. right? It's, oh, we didn't get the result we want because of X, Y, Z. It's not, oh, you're so bad and you're never going to get what you want. It's, oh, well, you didn't know the right formula. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I was talking to Jason and something we were talking about is it becomes a scientific evaluation versus an external judgment when we fail, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when we successfully fail. And so my relationship with failure for a long time has been that. I've, I haven't really seen it as this negative thing. Or Thomas Edison, I use his example a lot. He didn't see it as failure when he you know, tried 1,000, 1,500 times to invent the light bulb. Everything he tried that didn't work, he's like, well, now I know that doesn't work. We'll yep. try a blade of grass, piece of copper, piece of whatever. Process of elimination. Process of elimination. Yep. And, and that's how it should be. But I think a lot of times we become entitled to an outcome that we haven't earned yet. Yeah. And, and failure is just there to, to remind you, hey, you haven't earned this yet. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, it's so funny because I use this analogy. When, when you show up to the game of life, and life throws you a curveball and you swing and you miss. How do you handle that? Do you go, oh, that's evidence that I'm never going to get what I want? Mm-hmm. Or do you say, oh, what was wrong? Was my position not right? Or, you know, should I, should I have practiced more? Should I have leaned towards the ball more? It's like whenever we can look at a failure from a scientific perspective and say, what can I do differently next time? That's how we succeed. Mm-hmm. Versus looking at it and saying like, oh, there it is. I'm done. I can't do it. I'm yeah. not good enough. Oh, I don't have the favor or oh, I don't have the whatever. And um, and so I wanted to create a book that helps people reshape the way they view failure. And so they can develop a better relationship with him so they can succeed in the things they're wanting to go after. Yeah. I mean, I'm even looking at your first chapter here. You're embarrassed by me. Mm-hmm. So that's deep. Yeah. You know. I mean, I don't know exactly what that chapter means, but I mean, I feel that talk yeah. as I read it. He's like, you're um, embarrassed by me until you can see, until you see the fruit that I bring to your life. Um, it, it's kind of funny. All those chapters, they they come from a place of experience or things that I have witnessed. Um, and so it took me a long time to write that book. It's not a big book, but it took me three and a half, four years to write it. Most of it is all from personal experience with failure and my relationship with it. And is it available now for people to yeah. purchase? Yep. Amazon, Kindle, Audible. Um, yep. Absolutely. I, I'm not saying this for an Instagram quote, but it did. I heard it this morning and I was thinking about your book. I heard someone say this morning on a podcast or something that the, uh, you can't become a master until you have been in a, a disaster. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that's, you know, relevant to what you're saying here. I mean, I, that's so true, man. I, I, I never, I don't think about that a whole lot, but anyone that has done anything great, they have had to have failed miserably mm-hmm. at things. And I think a lot of what you're talking about is they, they, they start losing the fear of it and then they start seeing the value in, mm-hmm. in failing. Cause it's, yeah. it's not, failing is not even the, a great word for it. I mean, it's just yeah. part of the process. I mean, I know for me in business, there's no way that I would have ever leveled up over the years unless I came against some giant obstacle where I either had a choice to quit mm. or to pick up the pieces mm. and move forward. So that's really good, man. So yeah, thank you. Um, have you got, have you had anyone read this yet? That's given you feedback on it? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, uh, few mentors, you know, uh, 
I'd say a lot of the chapters, I, I don't know if people have given me a, a, you know, feedback on every single chapter, but a lot of the chapters I've sent to friends and the, there's a chapter called the, the school system. It's called to the teachers. And I sent that to probably 50 different school teachers. And I was like, I need feedback and your input on this chapter because I do not want to villainize school teachers, but I, I want this to be a, a, a letter that inspires. And so I got a lot of feedback on that one and it was really good. was able to tweak and, and correct a lot of the, the things um, well, yeah. without a spoiler alert, tell me more about school teachers. What is, what is the chapter? Well, about? I mean, so I wrote like, it's like a three part chapter series in the book about the education system. So mm-hmm. it's like to this, to the teacher, to the student, to the traumatized. So the one to the teacher is failure addressing the teachers and talking about how teachers should bring, allow failure more in the classroom to the student the chapter to the student is talking more about how you need to be okay with failure in the school system and how it's, you know, especially in high school, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Like in high school, you should be taking all the risk. You should be yep. taking risks because it's very low stakes. Yep. But when you're in high school, everything feels high stakes yep. from what you wear to what you say to everything. It everything. feels, you feel like everyone's watching you and then you leave and you're like, wow, that was nothing. And then to the traumatized or to people who are out of the school system, but maybe they're still living their life from the trauma that they experienced from a bad teacher mm-hmm. or a bad experience, or maybe they ran for class president and they felt humiliated when they got rejected or they asked out, you know, this girl and she rejected him or whatever. And so those chapters are, uh, are really important to me because I feel like the school system is not a place where failure is encouraged. Mm-mm. It's actually, you're supposed to run away from failure. Failure is yeah. a sign that you're not adequate. You know, yeah. failure is not um, something to necessarily learn from. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not, I don't want to say this as a blanket statement because I know a lot of teachers who, you know, are more embracing of that, but it's just funny because the education system doesn't do very much to predict whether you'll be successful or not in real life. You know, I think it, it, it'll show a group of people that can be successful who are well under the confines of traditional testing, mm-hmm. but a lot of the different creatives and entrepreneurs aren't going to do well in the traditional yeah, education the, system. The saying out there I've heard a lot of times is, you know, the kids with the A's end up working for the kids that got the D's. A's and B's work for C's and D's. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's true. It, it's definitely yeah. true. I, I struggled with school. I got in the mortgage business when I was a junior in high school and wow. there was a program where you could work five, uh, 12 to five and I just didn't like it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could say in my graduating class there, th- th- a lot of the least expected people became multimillionaires. And mm-hmm. some of the people you would have thought to, to go on to, you know, just it didn't end the way that people thought it would. And so totally. that, that's such a true thing. Um, so you, you're a fit guy and mm-hmm. you know, you work you. out, you eat well, and you run a big business. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people that are either getting into a startup or running a business, they struggle with life balance. Mm-hmm. And I don't know you super well, but we have a lot of friends in common. And you, you, you know, part of your story is obviously you have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. You're taking care of your body. Like, how do you deal with the challenges of running a business, you know, maintaining meaningful friendships and managing life balance. This this opinion might be controversial. That's fine. Right. I love it. Uh, I think balance is a luxury. And I think I'm grateful that I have that luxury right now, but I didn't always have that luxury. I think a lot of people, when you're starting a new idea, there's an obsession that has to take place for it to come to life. Mm-hmm. And that obsession sometimes doesn't give you the freedom to focus on your relationships and all of these other factors and stuff. Yep. Now, I think your health, and I think you should strive to find some balance, but man, I just, I don't know 
a lot of people who are really successful or something that's taken off like crazy or they didn't have a season where maybe their fitness and their diet and their friendships and relationships didn't suffer. And so like, I'm just like, I'm not like a Tony Robbins type person who's like, you need to have this perfect balance to create. It's to me, it was like, I was able to find more balance down the road Mm -hmm. when things started to loosen up. Yep. If I could go back in time, the one thing that I would incorporate for sure is a balance in nutrition and in fitness. I would have, I would have worked harder to do that. I would have eaten, I would have eaten better and I would have found time, even if it was just to do 50 pushups, 20 sit-ups and 10 pull-ups, I would have found the time to do that because you're taking care of your body, your mind. Oh, and I would have eliminated alcohol. Mm. So we get so stressed out when we're doing things and we think, oh, I just need to take the edge off. Yep. Well, you're hurting tomorrow's efficiency. Absolutely. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, maybe you don't have time to do a lot, but don't poison your body. Right. You know, try to get good sleep, try to drink lots of water, stay away from alcohol, do some pushups, get your body moving. But the balance of, you know, hour in the gym, spending time with the community, two hours with God, it's it's tricky. I think you have to find ways to kind of mesh it all together when you're in the grind of something new, yeah. but you can't stay there as a thing. You a lot can. of people stay there and then they burn out, yeah. but it's like, dude, for the first year of tech, I mean, dude, I got pretty fat when I was starting. Yep. I, I mean, I was at 230, 230 pounds. Wow. I'm 190 what? right now. So, I mean, there was a season where yeah, I'm drinking and eating crap and not working out and I'm just stressed and working my butt off. And I'm like, I'm going to die if I keep doing this. Yeah. And so I had to make some drastic changes, but you know, it's, it's so hard to look back and people are like, well, do you think it would have blown up if you wouldn't have? And I'm like, maybe, but I know I could have eliminated alcohol. I yeah. know I could have eaten better and maybe I could have done, yeah. you know, just a little bit of fitness stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so if, if you're going to do anything in those grinding years, at least do a little bit of physical workout, watch what you eat. And, and yeah, balance is such a, mm-hmm. it's not a great word. It's hard. It's rhythm. It's more of a rhythm and it's a grind. And I, I always say there's seasons, Yeah, you know, it's like it, when you're in that first stage or if you, you go through some economical cycle where you got to lay a bunch of people off and step back in, it's, it's generally not forever. Totally. Um, but I yeah. think if someone's going to be a leader, uh, you know, that that's part of what makes them leaders. They do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. But you recognize when you have those seasons where you can pull back a little bit. Totally. Yeah. And, and engage. And take care of yourself. And it's just so funny. Yeah. Because everyone, most of the people who preach on a perfect balance, uh, even successful people, they're like, you need to find balance. You need to do this. And I'm like, well, what was your balance like when you were grinding? Well, I didn't have it then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now, so, now you have multi-million, you have millions of dollars and you have oh, the yeah. ability to do all this. But it's just, it's just crazy to me because I know... I, I know it's possible, but it's, it's not what I've seen a lot of. It's know? not what I've seen. It's not what I've experienced. And you brought up Tony Robbins. I mean, even t- Tony, Tony Robbins, like I went to one of his, uh, unleash the power with them. I mean, you're talking 18 hour days, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and then he's get jumping on a private jet flying to a different one. Yeah. So, so yeah, life balance is probably not the right word. Uh, I think that if we're going to do anything and we're going to give it our all, it's going to cost something. Yeah. And what I hear you saying is you have to find the price, pay it, but just don't pay it forever. If there's anything you would have changed. You would have focused on nutrition, your body mm-hmm. and cut out uh, mind altering substances, yeah. alcohol, whatever. Depressants, man. Yeah. Things that are taken away from your nutrition, like alcohol. There's just no study that shows that any amount's good for you. And I'm not saying to stay away from it forever, but I'm like, if you're in a grind season, bro, mm-hmm. and you're thinking that alcohol is taking the edge off of after a hard day, like it's stealing from the next day. It totally is. And Especially if you, as you get older, Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like I have friends that are, you know, in their forties and fifties and 
I don't drink. I haven't drank for 20 years. Um, Dude, crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I know it's it's been it's been great, but and I don't have a problem with it. There's no issue. It's just I, I don't drink, but uh, a lot of my friends that do, they always tell me it's like I'll drink one beer and I got to drink two waters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, they'll drink one beer and the next day it'll be they'll just be sluggish mm -hmm. and have a headache. So have, are you like completely dry and not drinking? Or right you... now, yeah, I'm going at least a year. I haven't had any for nine months. Good for um, you, man. I mean, yeah, I just had such a bad relationship with it. I I had to use it to sleep every single night. Yeah. So it was just one of those things where I was like, this is not serving me. I need to quit drinking this and I need to find other ways to get rid of stress and anxiety. And so right now I've noticed when I don't drink, I have a lot more ambition. I'm a mm -hmm. lot clearer minded and I'm able to like execute better. And so to me, it's just a trade-off. It's like, well, do yeah. I want to take the edge off and enjoy, enjoy my life? Or do I want to build and have fun building and growing? Yeah. And it's been wild because going a year without it, you go through every season of life without alcohol. So you go to weddings, you go to parties, you go to birthday, Christmas, yeah. holidays, and you get to really experience a lot of different things. And it's funny how many relationships that revolve around drinking. Yes. And you start to see the people that you want to spend time with. You start doing things you actually want to do because when you're bored, you're no longer turning to alcohol. Right. You start to go, well, I'm bored. I need to do something. So let's go surf or pickleball or go do something fun. Yep. And you start to find out what you really like to do more than what you just passively do. Because You're showing you're up for life fully, man. You get fully, to experience yeah. everything. You get to feel it all. Mm -hmm. What did you, so you, you know, you, you said that you drank alcohol to sleep, deal with stress, anxiety. I totally understand. That's why I quit 20 years ago. Cause it was going to kill me. Mm. Um, what, what did you do to replace alcohol other than working out? I mean, what, deal, specifically to deal with the stresses and anxieties of just being in business and being lonely in business. Yeah. Well, I think it's understanding that actually alcohol doesn't take away the stress and anxiety. It just numbs it. It does. So for me, it, it wasn't necessarily that I had to find something to replace it. It was understanding that I need to feel this to learn how to deal with it effectively mm. so then I can move past it. Yep. And so when I stopped drinking, it feels like all the stress and anxiety got worse, but it was like, no, I'm just not numbing it. And then going to have a panic attack later. It's like, it's to the front of my brain. I have to process through it, cry about it, talk about it, conflict through it, meet with the therapist about it, walk through it. And then you just get better at it. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, ice bathing, you know, the first time you do it, you're like, wow, this sucks. Everything in you wants to jump out. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, I got this. This is great. This is yeah. no big deal. I look forward to it, you know? And that's kind of how like pain is. That's how mm -hmm. stress is. Mm -hmm. When you first have to deal with it without substances, you feel like you're dying. And then, but the more you go through it, the more you process through it, the more you handle it in a, in a responsible, healthy way, the more you're able to sit with it. Like I had conflict with my business partner today for an hour mm -hmm. and it was amazing. Yep. I felt so much love for him the whole time versus like three years ago when we used to argue, I wanted to punch him in the face and it was, <laughs> I still want to punch him in the face sometimes, but yep. it's, I feel like love and, and, and yeah. peace when we yeah. fight versus it used to just be chaos yeah. and anxiety. So does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, it does. That's great. Conflict is a sign of a, healthy relationship usually cool. as long as it leads to resolution. So, mm -hmm. well, man, I know you're a busy guy and you travel a lot. You got an incredibly thriving company. Um, thank you f so much for taking some time to come visit us today, bro. And if anyone wants to check this book out, like he said, it's on Amazon failure. Hello. My name is failure. Got mm -hmm. it right. Embracing present failures for future success. Thanks again, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me on.